everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. While the COVID-19 pandemic has forced each one of us to reevaluate the way we live, work, and interact, it has also forced organizations to ensure a new mode of operations. The sudden shock to the systems at all levels is followed by millions who are now without jobs or are asked to work from home. As a result, cyberspace is at the center of the new way of life and work. This has brought unforeseen strain on all matters of security. To discuss the security impact of COVID-19 pandemic, I'm delighted to welcome Neil Conlon to this roundup. Neil is a mission-driven Marine veteran and post-military service, Neil has developed a strong expertise in technology, processes, and people, and is now very focused on cybersecurity. Welcome, Neil. We are honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Thanks for having me, Jayshree. I really appreciate you uh, putting this together, and uh, I'm excited to contribute to the platform. Wonderful, Neil. So society, as we know it, is experiencing one of the worst pandemics of this century. Each one of us is impacted in so many different ways, unimaginable. As our mode of operation goes digital, how do you see cyberspace shaping our very survival? You know, that, that's a very interesting question, Jayshree, and it's actually probably the reason why uh, I really have gone down this path of cybersecurity. Um, Post-military service, I spent a bunch of years where I had some really amazing uh, technology mentors and CTOs uh, and CIOs of probably some of the top uh, infrastructure, data infrastructures on the planet uh, in algorithm trading, big investment banks. And I was always fascinated at like um, these layers and layers and layers of technology that we were building. and about six years ago, when I first kind of started to get really heavily involved in cybersecurity, uh, it became fascinating to me about how much or how fast we build technology that does a cool, amazing thing, but don't consider not only the human implications of what that looks like from like a human to human experience, and that's a conversation for a different day, but everything from data how our data gets used for us or against us um you know and 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 it just kind of goes into conversation to conversation and when this about seven eight weeks ago whenever the first headlines started to hit the united states um about uh the coronavirus uh my immediate kind of as somebody who does what i do for a living my immediate kind of red flag was not so much about you know, the implications of a virus or a pandemic, which is obviously very, very concerning and needs to be addressed in its own way. But the ability for, from a geopolitical standpoint, and the implications of, you know, being able to, in my own words, kind of take a pop shot at your adversaries when they're distracted, is really become a very interesting topic for what's going, I think what we're experiencing in the world today um, and what's gonna continue to, to happen in cyberspace. 
I, I think you made some really excellent points. The point that you made about adversaries trying to come up with the new ways of attacking us when we are vulnerable, we meaning, you know, any nation, I'm not talking about any specific nation, but any nation, this virus is not impacting all the nations at the same time. So it's going in, you know, in cycle and uh, some you know, nations are ahead of us and some, you know, are behind us. But then if the adversaries, those nations, enemy nations, some of them, you know, they see that their enemy nation is, you know, vulnerable right now, going through pandemic, for instance, in the United States right now, is going through this pandemic. And if our enemies take this opportunity to bring us down, it is very, very, you know, difficult scenario for us to defend ourselves. Because it, it like you, you know, just mentioned that all the layers of technology that makes the cyberspace, there are about 14 layers of technology. Now, each of those layers, when we build the technology, we never, you know, kept security at the core of it. We all always have, you know, every application that comes up with or every different technology that emerges, that is developed. Security has never been at the core and we focus on functionality so much that we are not focused on understanding where the security gaps are, where are the vulnerabilities. So that is a big concern for everybody because now it is too late. You know, now the way this pandemic brought everything on a standstill organizations or individuals, none of us got any time to prepare ourselves. We did not get notice that this pandemic is coming, so prepare yourself. In short, this pandemic has transformed everybody's life. And we are having to adapt to these new restrictions based on our work, our work life or our home life or our mode of entire mode of operations. That is, you know, we, none of us are prepared. So while we are facing these challenges of having to protect ourselves from COVID virus, this coronavirus, we also need to protect ourselves from the enormous challenges associated with the shifting economic and security fundamentals. And as you know, that there are so many changes happening at all levels. So what shifts are you witnessing that are further impacting the security fundamentals other than what you said that enemies are trying to you know make this much more complex than it needs to be because they are seeing this as an opportunity to bring us down so what other shifts you are witnessing um really good question and i think one of the things i think is super interesting is you know for the for the general population, you know, of the average citizen, right? Um, I look at this in a very different way because of my background working with federal and government agencies and because of the nature of my work and because of my military service. So I have some different views and opinions on it. But when the economy is working the way we think it should, when the unemployment rates are down, when everyone's getting fed and, every, and you know, up until, you know, if you went back in the economy about eight months ago, right, at least in the United States um, and probably lots of other countries, everybody's, they, they see an article in the paper every day about Equifax getting breached, some data getting stolen, um, you know, something about a state nation breach, hacking into something, and everybody kind of wrinkles and frowns, frowns a little bit upon it, but they're like, it's not really impacting my life. And 
with all these different scenarios now morphing and like people are now, you know, company companies now sent home all their employees, you know, and they're working remote. Um, companies uh, are having to uh, having to work uh, and re reduce the rules of compliance and audit and risk uh, in order to support their employees working from home because they're working on not such secure networks. There's a whole bunch of other things alongside of it. But what happens is, going back to that piece about adversaries, and I just mean adversaries and somebody who is not focused on the greater good of, of people. And I'll come back to that term. I want to come back to that term greater good in, in, a, in a moment. But what I'm seeing is the from my background in terrorism training and my background in kind of uh, those type of scenarios, it's like the ultimate time to accomplish the 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 insertion or to try and debilitate your adversary is when they're distracted by something else. And it's like, not only are we distracted, many, many countries, everyone's distracted in some way, shape or form by this. Is it gonna affect my family? Is it gonna affect my children? Is it gonna affect my work? Is it gonna affect my bank account? Is it gonna, what's it, it's gonna affect something, everything. And so for people who I'm seeing a severe increase in the number of uh, phishing attacks, uh, and online scams. Um, I'm seeing this as um, as adversaries are aware of uh, the de the defenses of the, the defensive postures of cybersecurity firms. Um, they're able to go into. They're able. They're physically able to launch more and more attacks, uh, and then increasing the likelihood of them being able to get into the system. And now they're probably just laying the groundwork for. Uh, getting a foot into the into the infrastructure so they can build from the inside, which is a lot of times what the adversaries are going to do. It's not so much about like let me do the quick little thing anymore, uh, like suck your data out of your out of your computer. It's more so of like how can I get into your system and go find what we refer to as the crown jewels, and then disable the whole entire infrastructure so that when we need to remove that thing. Uh, we can, you know, it's like the movies where they're like constantly trying to figure out like the cool plot and how to get the sledgehammers against the wall and how to turn the power off and how to do all these things that when they go to leave with the, the, the pride crown jewels or your data or the intellectual property or your country secrets or your bank account information or whatever it is, they can do it without even you noticing. And uh, I think I saw an interesting metric the other day that said that in the past six weeks, uh, cybersecurity uh, or cyber attacks uh, to home users is up about 37%, which is super significant. The other piece of it, just to highlight also, is in this example, because everybody's in, affected by the pandemic, even the hackers, even the bad guys, uh, lots of these attacks nowadays are now automated. So you can, in theory, uh, I could be an adversary in a faraway place and I could spend 40 minutes on a computer, set up a bunch of automated attack scripts, and then I can go be sick on the couch while it just runs and runs and runs and runs because that's what happens nowadays with bot attacks and stuff like that. 
That is, you are absolutely right about it. But I was thinking while you were giving this, you know, information that isn't it strange that this pandemic has evolutionary implications. It, if we cannot control it, it, it even has significant, you know, potential to put the future of humanity at risk. And in spite of that, we are witnessing increase in the number of you know, cyber attacks, especially on individuals. And that is very disturbing because, you know, for individuals, why would people you know, target individuals? They don't have that kind of resources, most of them. You know, they don't have that kind of training to understand how to protect themselves. But we are witnessing these, you know, increase in attacks and that is very, very unfortunate. So you would think that, you know, how do you make any human, you know, accountable and responsible and look towards the greater goods or even the future of the humanity? Yes, there are, you know, a lot of these people that we are seeing moving towards this uh, criminal, underground criminal world. They are doing it sometimes, you know, just for purely economic reasons. A lot of them are doing or, you know, just for the thrill of it. This has become an industry of itself. So these implications, when, you know, now we are witnessing millions of people have lost jobs because, you know, a lot of businesses have, you know, shut down. So the implications of this shifting economic fundamentals are going to further evolve the criminal markets and it's going to be very profound. So by looking down, of, I mean, once we close the border, so some of the crimes have stopped because, you know, Lot of the transportation has stopped and people cannot go out. So we are also seeing murder rates and all that go down. But at the same time, we are seeing increased you know, criminal activities like, like you just mentioned. And that is very unfortunate because you know the number of crimes that are increasing in cyberspace and the nature of crimes that are increasing in cyberspace that is how do you control that especially now when organizations their IT departments are overwhelmed how are organization if we talk about enterprises we'll talk about government separately but if you talk about enterprises they did not get enough time to prepare their workforce or to prepare the equipments the laptops or computers that people were taking home so that they can work remotely how are organizations adapting to these model and how are they trying to protect their employees and uh, their networks right and and that's a very you, you raise a very fair point where this happened so quickly right that large medium-sized and large organizations probably didn't have enough time to even plan for it right most uh enterprise companies that i've ever worked with in government uh, will have what's called a BCP, a business contingency plan. But because of the cost of it, they typically run these kind of what I would call the fire drill. And they'll say, okay, in the event of a market crash, a blackout, could we spend send a third of the workforce home and run the entire business off of one third of the workforce? Um, in this example, we sent everybody home in like two or three days or whatever the time frame was and said, everyone now works from home. So, you know, everything from uh, networks being overwhelmed uh, by users to your points around security, uh, not being up to date. Um, there's a constant struggle between uh, efficiency uh, and security postures. 
right? And, you know, over the past two years, I've become a very significant advocate for uh, these zero, what they call zero trust frameworks, um, where uh, what this, there's a whole framework built around this idea that you can't trust anything in the infrastructure. You can't trust the people, you can't trust the hardware, you can't trust the software, and you put all of these uh, decision-making processes in place to make sure that by the time a user gets to touch the hardware, gets using the software, and gets to create data, right, those are the kind of four pillars there, um, you have done the best job possible to make sure that you can trust all those pieces, all those pillars in some way, shape, or form, or, or they have been verified by a second party uh, that can say, yep, that's definitely Neil, that's definitely his computer, he's definitely on Zoom, he's definitely talking to Jayshree, you know, all these layers that you can monitor the whole time. But that's also very, very expensive to do at scale and adds the complexity of layers to it that you have to do. And so, the other piece there is that if you're just adding upon these layers and layers and layers and layers, right, it's interesting to me because the fact that we haven't figured that piece out, like as a society, is very interesting to me because one of my mentors, when they were teaching me about cybersecurity, what they thought was very interesting was it's like people build tunnels, right, for the basements, then they build a first floor and a second floor and all the way up to the walls of the castle, all the way up to the, you know, to the highest pillars and to the, uh, you know, to where they keep the princess in the top of the, of the castle and everything. And then it's like, but if you don't keep on con consistently keep on fortifying and locking down the basements and the foundation of the, of the walls, the bad guy is just going to come in through the basement or walk into the front door. And cybersecurity over the past 10 years has been exactly that, right? We just keep on throwing all these cool widgets and cool things on top of it, and it becomes very easy to dissect through it. So that's a long-winded way for me to say that I think that we need to really start leveraging and leaning on, you know, people like you and other PhDs and people. Uh, I've been very fascinated how uh, cybersecurity people and bioengineers bio and people with biology backgrounds have now been kind of doing lots of research work together because there has to be this paradigm shift in the way that we think about how cybersecurity is because if all we're going to do is keep on building more and more levels and layers to it we can never manage the efficiency of it nor can we manage the, the, the integration of security and the adoption for people so it's a very I think this is really, from a cybersecurity perspective, I think this is a very fascinating time because it's going to force a lot of people to pivot and think differently about how they do this because things were working for a long time, but they weren't working in the best way possible. And I think it's a good opportunity for us to kind of pivot and shift. No, I think you made an excellent point because as we were witnessing the cyberspace, the digital age was advancing and then we reached a point where people, countries and, you know, lost trust in each other's, uh, you know, digital networks and especially the data flow, the global data flow. And everybody was trying to prevent that global data flow reaching their country, especially their citizens, because that has a lot of implications, right? You 
keep the you know data flow open then everyone would get new ideas that hey this country is in certain way why are we you know uh, forced to do it in this way why we don't have freedom so countries started shutting down their digital borders and that was the trend happening and then this pandemic happened so now no nobody has any option but advance this uh, digital age in fact you know digital age is going to go so aggressively so rapidly it is going to move forward because we have no other options this is in fact our resilience you know space we we can define redefine all the systems that goes through cyberspace so no matter what happens no matter bio warfare happens or any kind of warfare happens people cannot come to work doesn't matter the life will continue the operations will continue and businesses and economy will not need to shut down if we advance the digital age if we revisualize re you know imagine and innovate in such a way keeping you know cyberspace in the center so we are going to witness a lot of new innovations in cyberspace so cyberspace is going to advance rapidly but at the same time as we have been talking cyber security is going to be a huge challenge we unless we reimagine that while i am sitting here in my home office right now am i the only one here when i'm talking to you or there are some other people sitting next to me what kind who is you know listening to our conversation who has access to the computer that i'm using if i'm working you know for uh, my company then those are the questions that are going to emerge because how do we keep the privacy and integrity of our information our you know data flow our uh, telephone conversation all kinds of you know uh, information that passes through the computers while we are at work while we are accessing the work you know uh, networks and all how are we going to protect that so we'll have to come up with new ways of first you know and foremost i validating the identity human identity that i this is the person who that person is because not every body is going to be on a video call while they are working so how do we know who is working on what you know when somebody is logged in so there are lot right. of new ways we will have to come up with new innovations and that is you know exciting because we it will you know in expand the economy we will come up with new models that is going to you know, grow the economic economy everywhere at all levels but at the same time the old models are collapsing and you know lot of you know uh, businesses are going to shut down lot of uh, old ways of doing things are going to disappear so that are going to have huge implications but i was thinking about the criminal groups at this point you know that these criminal groups are not just attacking the enterprises they are attacking the healthcare systems right now that are already inundated you know with so much happening so countries where these we are witnessing that these uh, our criminal groups are infiltrating the health systems and the, especially that is very troubling because the life saving resources are being you know diverted by these criminal groups and weakening the response of not only the health systems but also of the you know governments that they don't know how to you know handle this because everything is connected and we are we have not so far focused on the interconnectedness of the systems and we are mm -hmm. have great challenges because of that because it, it may look like this hospital or this you know clinic 
is a standalone, but it is not standalone. There are a lot of systems that are connected to the government, that are connected to the insurance company, that are connected in many different ways to the supply chain. So there are a lot of challenges when criminals attack that when they are already inundated. So healthcare system, as we know, the medical device security has been uh, already been you know very vulnerable because we have all those systems were never you know completely uh, secured and the models, the technology that they were using, a lot of them have been outdated. So this industry, healthcare industry, right now is struggling. You know very much and that is a very difficult scenario how to secure this industry and this systems healthcare system while you know we are trying to save human lives how do we approach that because that is where you know we have to start with you know yes the enterprises the business you know organizations and the governments all of that matter but right now the healthcare system should be a priority and how do we secure this system well, you raise a very, very clear point, Jayshree, and I think the first piece of it really comes down to awareness, right? And a lot of times when, uh, when I'm speaking to large groups of people about uh, topics like data privacy, um, the example I give is uh, every person, every, every per almost every person on the planet uh, who has a car, Right, could be driving along on the side, driving on down the highway, and something could go wrong. They got to pull off on the side of the road, and if they have the right tools in the trunk, they can go on YouTube, and you could probably, if you wanted to, if you wanted to, uh, you could probably look up uh, the symptoms of the car, and you could watch a DIY video, and you could pop the hood of the car and fix whatever it is, as long as you have the right parts and the right tools and go back on your own down the road. Every single person could probably do that. The biggest challenge as far as awareness is, is that none of us really understand what's underneath the hood of this car. And yet uh, we consume more information every day from these devices than William Shakespeare consumed in his lifetime. Like, and, and that's, I've read that in multiple places that that's, they've done the math and they figure that's true. And that, that awareness piece is important because when, when the average everyday citizen is shocked, you know, at how something got breached or how they lost data or, how, or you know, how it rolls over to things, what's happened over time now is these, these criminal organizations are just as sophisticated as the businesses are. I've worked uh, with and against hacking groups that have analysts, project managers, accounting teams, uh, salespeople, and they have an entire infrastructure that runs similar to a medium-sized business of 50 employees would run. And they th think about what's the targets that are gonna yield the most revenue out of their daily work. And they go to work every day and they have families. And so it becomes, as the investment banks and the governments become more and more secure, uh, they go, well, wh where's the e where are the easiest places to go? And they go after places like healthcare because of uh, your PII or, or your personal data because of your healthcare records is stored there and it's stored there in very weak uh, data, da data containers. 
and it's very easy to navigate and very easy probably to trip up an employee who's not making a significant income and probably not trained properly on it. And it's an ongoing challenge, especially with what's going on with coronavirus. I'll give you an interesting quick story um, where uh, about three years ago, I was working on a, on a, on a, I got called into a data breach uh, at a hospital to do some of the forensics and some of the audit work. And um, they figured out that the number two most well-known and most successful cardiologist in the hospital was the culprit who had clicked on a phishing email and had allowed uh, a hacker into infrastructure and then they were able to do a whole bunch of nasty stuff afterwards. Um, and so they couldn't reprimand the number two cardiologist in the business. Uh, he's the, one, the biggest moneymaker for the hospital and the, the brand recognition and stuff like that. And so th they found it easier to hire a $20 an hour personal assistant for him to click on his emails and, and so before he did, and this person would walk around with an iPad and click on his emails and write his emails for him, and that person was trained on cybersecurity and phishing and all this other stuff rather than do that. And it's fascinating that models like that exist, when we're, but we need to figure out better ways to be able to reduce risk, but also maintain data privacy and also not feel like we're compromising our own rights and beliefs, which I think is an ongoing conflict for what's going to evolve out of the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, because looking at some of the stuff that China is implementing um, in their mobile solutions for trying to reduce uh, and track uh, hotspots of COVID, and contact tracking and stuff like that, it sounds extremely logical. Um, it also sounds uh, extremely pragmatic. But I think that our country, from a capitalism beliefs rights perspective, is going to have a struggle with how we're going to manage and maintain and interact those things into our daily lifestyles. Yes, very true. And I, especially when you talked about fishing, you know, I. I am also. I read uh, an article which mentioned that even the U.S. Treasury had to issue a warning about the phishing attempts because these criminals they were using email, uh, you know, communication saying that uh, this uh, COVID-19 testing kit is available, or you know that uh, certain medicines are effective, or you know they will use Center for Disease Control or you know World Health Organization, you know. Uh, in the information so people with you know the common you know man they don't understand much about it i mean even the experts can fall prey to this kind of you know emails because it's very hard to differentiate what is a genuine email or communication or what mm -hmm. is a you know fake communication and going through these times where you are so concerned about your own safety or your own survival or your family's survival from this virus you're going to you know get drawn to clicking on the emails just to you know get the information and yes education awareness is very very important but that's a process long process to educate every single person to you know let them know that what kind of measures they should take so that they don't 
click on something that they should not be clicking on. But we have to probably go a different way. Either, you know, I address that in my book about using the algorithms or some sort of, you know, algorithm that would give the end user some data that you, what you are trying to open is probably not from a credible source. So maybe we should put this, you know, responsibility on the service providers, you know, the software providers, or Outlook or Gmail, or, you know, the manufacturers of computer where we need to have an integrated approach where everyone works together, software and hardware providers, that, you know, we come up with a new way of telling that what you are about to click is not genuine. It's uh, likely that it's a fake. So we probably have to come up with new ways of doing things because otherwise, the common man, how are they going to be able to know what to open, what not to open? So this is a very, very difficult time. And uh, I know that you are trying to uh, train people on ethics. How do you see changing the minds of you know, brilliant software developers or brilliant people who are getting drawn into this underground world of the criminal world? Or how would we prevent millions of people who are losing jobs, who will have no source of income? And to feed themselves and to feed their family, they will probably, you know, I'm not saying all of them, but some of them from that will be drawn to, you know, whatever is available. Because, you know, you have to survive at the end of the day. We don't have universal basic income. No country has that yet. So while, you know, we, they, nobody has that safety net, people are going to go to, you know, any extent to survive. And that is understandable. But how do we change that course? Yes, governments will have to do their part. The employers will have to do their part. But how do we instill that ethics as, you know, to tell people not to, you know, get into the areas where, you know, you go towards destruction because cyberspace has given us the democratization of innovation. And that innovation could be destructive and constructive. So how do we, right. how do we make people go not towards the destructive side of the innovation, but towards the constructive side and, you know, figure out collectively, individually and collectively, that we can come up with new models where everyone would benefit. How do we do that? No, that's a really good, good question. And I, I think there's two, two components to it. The first piece really is, I go back to that, that awareness, uh, you know, the, on the user side, right, on the, on the, on the receiving end of it. Um, you know, it, during my military training, the first and foremost, the beginning of every single training was just be aware, be be aware of your surroundings. And what's, what I've realized over time is, I'll give you a really good example, is one of the biggest, uh, well, I'll say it like this. I think that Google and Microsoft and a lot of the integrators, um, have done a good job at probably removing about 60 or 70%, right? That's, they, they take up to a certain piece. And then depending on whether you have an antivirus or a bunch of other tools and softwares, they, they get a significant amount of the, of the bad things probably out of hitting your inbox. And what they're fighting against every day is, is that every day there are 6 million new 
malware viruses uh, created every single day. And they're, at this point, they're just like a biological virus in that they manifest themselves. It doesn't even need a person at this point to do it because there's a bunch, there's enough algorithm stuff out there that they can morph and change on their own. Code leaks into another code. It just, it's, it really is just like a, a virus uh, mutating. And uh, if all the integrators and all the softwares get to, you, to be about 90, 95%, it's that last five or 10% is where the risk, you know, really comes through the things into your inbox. And the other piece of that is, is that when you, when a person makes a, uh, when their digital breadcrumb is what we call it, changes online is when there's an opportunity or that they will likely be breached. A digital breadcrumb change would be uh, a real estate transaction uh, is a, is a big one because it's public knowledge. If you buy, uh, buy, buy or sell real estate, uh, insurance funds are funds are changed. You know, major stocks. All this stuff that's public record um, becomes very important because it's public knowledge, and hackers and adversaries can then take advantage of it. So it's like you could be sitting there watching for a very long time and have no problems and no weird emails, and suddenly you're buying a new house or selling a new house, or your child just gets into college or graduates some kind of life event and suddenly you're inundated with emails and new things and, and stuff like that. Like that's something just to be aware of, to be like, I might want to do things like lock down my credit during that time frame if I can. I might want to lock up my security on my notifications a little bit more just because it's that life event where you kind of poke your head out of the sea of people and users out there that that might be a good time to kind of lock things up a little bit tighter during that time. Now, as far as your point around how do we um, address the people who may be using innovative measures for adversarial tactics, um, I think there's a couple things there. I mean, if you look at it, the whole idea of hacking and, and, and uh, learning how to code and break into things really has become kind of sexy, right? We've kind of democratized it as being something that's attractive to do. It feeds into uh, a moment of significance uh, for people. Um, you know, so I think we need to do a better job of starting people younger and educating them really on the impacts of what they're doing, you know, so, uh, geopolitically, the efficacy of what they're doing and stuff like that. And I think that we also need to probably do a better job of, you know, a lot of these uh, hackers and adversaries uh, from a geopolitical standpoint are coming from third world countries uh, where, you know, the types of jobs that are available are not the greatest and they could learn a couple pieces of code or even buy that code offline and suddenly be making lots and lots of money. Um, so there's some geopolitics involved in there about making sure that, you know, these countries uh, have support. Uh, you know, there's education and educational education to be added to that. Um, and there's, we need to continue to attract 
good talent to learn good coding efficacy and then want to build and solve complex good problems instead of uh, being just kind of annoying, you know, annoying to the system. I, I, I hear you on that. And yes, there are a lot of changes. We will have to come up with new way of doing things. And the hackers, you know, are going to do what they are going to do because they find either the excitement or they need the money or they are just, you know, simply lost souls. So unless, I mean, this is going to be a long process and perhaps, you know, from the elementary school, we'll have to start training these young minds of what they should focus on and what they should not because focusing on destruction is very easy for a lot of people because, you know, destruction doesn't take much effort, but building something, you know, that requires a lot of effort and a lot of intelligence and a lot of innovation and a lot of patience because building something, it's not happened overnight. You know, it takes a long journey, a lot of effort, you know, a lot of people working together. So we have to instill in everyone right from the childhood that our eyes should be on the future of the humanity because the challenges coming our way are so enormous. It's not only climate change, but you know, there are so many other risks that are emerging. One we are going through right now, pandemic. And this pandemic is, but it is, I mean, this is one example. We have, you know, gone through so many pandemics before, but there is also potential of bio-warfare happening, you know, because criminals are not going to stop at, you know, cyber, you know, computer viruses. They are going to go towards creating, you know, novel viruses on their own. So these are enormous challenges coming our way, you know, bio-warfare to nano-warfare to all kinds of warfare, electromagnetic warfare that are coming our way. Cyber warfare is just, you know, uh, probably going to be a small thing if we look at all the potential of the other, you know, warfare risks that could, you know, emerge and could come our way. So we have to keep our eyes on all different kinds of warfare that is possible. And for that, we need to create education right from the childhood. So we train human minds that, you know, we all should focus on, you know, creating, you know, something, developing something and building a future for not just ourselves, but for our entire species. That is going to require a lot of integrated effort. So what would you, where would you like to see the changes, you know, based on not only your military, you know, experience, but everything that you have done after your post-military world, where do you see the gaps and where would you like a lot of changes, you know, happening so that we can protect the future of the humanity collectively? Well, I, I think the, the education piece is probably the most important piece, right? Because the technology is only as good as the human operating it, right? And, and even any of the artificial intelligence or machine learning stuff that's come out there, it all still at this point still needs to be uh, managed or operated by the human who has been educated to a certain, certain level. Now, one thing that, I, that comes up for me is I think what's interesting is that during the uh, Cold War era between Russia and the United States, right, the United States was educating everybody, even to the point of where small school children, you know, were doing drills and going underneath desks and watching videos and, you know, of what a nuclear bomb would look like. 
But what that did was it educated everybody on how bad of a thing that was going to be. And therefore, even today, nobody wants a nuclear war. Nobody wants one because of they were educated on it, right? And I think that the education of understanding of um, what we do on our phones, there's implications to it, um, needs to be educated into, into even our smallest of children, where even my, my children are watching lots of YouTube and watching lots of different things. And even the example of, you know, TikTok being this raging social media platform that their servers are in China. Like, what does that really mean for people? And so that needs to be, before it becomes a hot, amazing, cool pop culture thing, we probably need to do some work on explaining what some of the ramifications are for some of those topics. And the other piece of it is, is that um, we really need to realize that, and I think this pandemic will probably do a little bit of it, is realize that one, you don't realize how connected the whole world really is, both from a, from a biological perspective and from a uh, now infrastructure perspective. And I think that everybody in the world actually needs to accept that as much as uh, I don't really believe that there's good guys or bad guys on the planet, right? This is not like the comic books. There's no villain or superhero. However, there are people who do have their own interests in play. And lots of people over the past uh, decade or so have removed themselves from that conversation to realize that there are state nations and other countries that if you turn your back, uh, if we turn our back on a situation, they will find a way to take advantage of it and focus on uh, advancing their own geopolitical plans, right? That the US competes against China who has a 100 year strategic plan for advancing their nation. Yet we change presidents every four years. That means we change strategies every four years. That means that we change economic beliefs. We change so many things every four years. And yet a state nation that has a economy and economy and amount of people that is triple the size of the United States uh, moves to one drum with a hundred year plan that just gets kind of tweaked every now and again. And for somebody, people in the U.S. just need to be educated better that that's what you're competing against. Yes, I think you made an excellent point because uh, if we have to redefine our strategy every four years, we cannot go much far. You know, we have to have the collective focus as a nation to make sure that we are all in this together to for the success of our country and for you know economic success military success all kinds of success and then you know if we are if each country is able to do that then perhaps you know we have will have a hope that we all countries can work together collectively towards the future of our species to protect the future of our species and like you said you know we were able to do that in the cold war era for educating everybody on the nuclear you know risk so why we we already have that you know baseline we can do this again we can educate everybody on the cybersecurity risk and there is a hope and I, I in my book and i and since the beginning of risk group 
I have been, you know, talking about the need for integrated approach. Nation is made of government, industries, organizations, academia, and individuals. And unless all of them work together, we cannot achieve much. And for, we have been, you know, keeping that at the core of our discussion that we need to have an integrated approach and integrated strategy. So what you just said, you know, I think, you know, we are uh, on the same, you know, path, and especially about our thinking, you know, where they should go. And we can do this as a country. We uh, collectively, we all can come together. There is no problem that cannot be solved. So thank you so much, Neil, for participating on today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on security implications of COVID-19. And I'm sure our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided today. And even if a single individual, organization, or nation is able to understand how to better prepare their businesses or their, you know, individual life or their government, you know, approach for pandemics. After listening to this discussion, this risk roundup dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. So, thank you very much, Jayshree. Thank you so much, Neil. So Risk Group is a strategic security risk research platform and community and our ecosystem is the first and only cross-disciplinary and collective community that is made of top scientists, security professionals, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, policymakers, and academic institutions from across nations collaborating to research, review, rate, and report strategic security risks to protect the future of humanity. Add your voice to risk groups, get involved to protect the future of humanity. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.